Hey guys, this is Tim Powell from the Minerals and Royalties Authority. I recently sat down with Gabe Gonzalez, owner of Kinetic Resources, a land brokerage and title services company focused on the Appalachia Basin. During the episode, Gabe and I talk all things Appalachia and dig into the weeds on title in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Let's jump into the episode and hear more of what Gabe had to say. Well, Gabe, good morning, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, Thanks for having me, Tim. You bet, you bet. So we actually just did an Appalachia episode with the Penmark LPR guys. Got a mm-hmm. lot of good feedback on it and looking forward to doing another Appalachia rendition here and and diving in on, you know, you're on the land and title side. So that's really what differentiates Appalachia and there's a barrier to entry there around that. So looking forward to an in-depth discussion. For our listeners, a little background yourself. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to, to school? And how did you get into the space? You're a land guy by background. So kind of paint that picture so everyone has context. Sure. Um, so I'm, uh, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I went to school at uh, UNC Charlotte and ended up in the uh, oil and gas industry uh, back in 2006, honestly, just because I was bilingual. One of the guys that brought me into the industry, they just needed some guys that could essentially regurgitate the information they were trying to you know, pitch to to some of the locals in the area because there were uh, a lot of Spanish speaking areas in the Fort Worth area, and, and that's uh, that's that's kind of how I got in the industry. And then from there, it was more of me wanting to learn more about the industry, kind of I guess sharpen my teeth a little bit within the industry by learning, joining AAPL, taking a lot of that information, and just ex- expanding on it. That's a really interesting uh, door into the industry. While you were saying that, I'm like. Needed him for his bilingual skills. Appalachia has a lot of Hispanic people. I, my wife's Mexican, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm I kind of speak Spanish. I, I'm more conversational, but um, so I have a great appreciation for all that. But uh, yeah, yeah so I maybe like, I should clarify Appalachia. That. I don't know about <laughs> Appalachia. Yeah, well, so I started in Fort Worth in the Barnett. So that's where I started. Yeah. So that's why they need. Yeah. So yeah, it's completely different. Uh, I spent a couple years down there, 2006, 2008, which was kind of really the big boom in terms of uh, you know the shale plays. I think, as I remember back then, uh, the price of gas was up around twelve dollars. I mean, we we were we were doing a lot of work for Chesapeake uh, out there, you know, within those neighborhoods, just kind of putting together units, 0.25 acres at a time. Uh, it, it was you know, a lot of knocking on doors, town or not township, but community meetings at VFWs, signing up two hundred leases a night, you know, turning around and processing all that. Uh, not a lot of title work involved just because historically, you know, in that Fort Worth, Fort Worth area, there wasn't a, a lot of reservations. You know, we would do some titles, a little bit of curative here and there. But for the most part, it was just you know already done. And I, I enjoyed the experience that I had in Fort Worth. A lot of the folks that I met within the industry, I still, you know, remain in contact with. But I, I think the shift to the Appalachian Basin is where I really, you know, kind of began to like spread my wings and learn a lot more about the intricacies of becoming a, I guess, a true landman, you know, down there, there wasn't a lot of title again. And I think to be a true landman, you have to understand not only the negotiation side of things, but the, uh, the title side of things, you know, yeah. they come hand in hand. So you, you start in the industry with Dale, mm-hmm. you Barnett for a couple of years, walk me through from the lens of Dale, kind of where they're playing a role in the the mineral land side, the lease side, when they got into Appalachia, 
Appalachia is very early at this point, right? So mm-hmm. is it just assigned to you? Did you kind of raise your hand and see this is an opportunity? It's a new, a new uh, area, a new basin. How did that? Because you, so, you were doing that for them close to five years, right? So I spent so the two years down there. And then from 2008 to 2012, I think, into 2012, beginning of 13, I think, is when, when all that ended with DPS, you know, Chesapeake cut back. But as far as how the opportunity came up, they, you know, they were just looking for volunteers. Uh, you know, obviously they didn't pitch it to everybody. There was there was a select group that they were interested in taking up there, just depending on uh, the skill set that they saw. You know, the you know, potential for growth. When I got moved up to the Appalachian Basin, I, you know, I, w- I was promoted to a uh, an area landman, so I, I did end up having you know a, a crew of folks working under me that I had to kind of guide through and and, and kind of try to teach them some of the things that I learned down there, but also, you know, some of them had already been working up here. So I, I learned from them as well, but yeah. So then the, you start your own firm, Kinetic Resources, mm-hmm. shortly thereafter. What was, what was the original player, the opportunity you saw, and you've been doing it for almost a decade now. So clearly yeah. something right. So a little bit so, background what you're doing today, and then we'll dive in kind of Appalachia. Sure. sure. Uh, so Kinetic, honestly, it, Initially, we were approached by a group of attorneys that wanted us to put together, I guess, big chunks of a leasehold up in the northern PA, like Mercer, kind of in that above Butler. You know, they were looking up there, really speculating in there. So then, so we started Kinetic Resources. There's a group of, I want to say, five of us. And that kind of fell to the wayside. And I was like, you know what? There's a good opportunity here, I think, to potentially take on some work. Uh, so, I, you know, I, we kept on, there were three of us uh, initially. And right off the bat, things kind of just picked up speed. Uh, we, we had a contact at, uh, at Rice Energy. She was in the title department and she reached out and said, hey, you know, we, we're right now just bogged down with so much title work. Do you want to come and help just, you know, look through some title, put, put together these lease packets? You know, we, we need all the help we can get. I, I saw that as an opportunity to show kind of the type of work that we could do for them. And, you know, we spent long out. I, I think we were spending maybe 12 hour days, you know, in their office, just churning out title, you know, knocking stuff out. It's, and it was interesting just kind of seeing the inner workings of how that works, it, you know, how rice came to be in its infancy. And then, you know, now they're, you know, obviously told you they were at EQT, all that acreage. Then they approached us about running title for them in, you know, Greene County, Belmont, in Ohio, uh, not really a lot of West Virginia, mainly just, you know, the the cores, which would be Greene County, Washington, and then uh, starting to trickle into to Belmont and Monroe County out in Ohio. I think at that point, it things really blew up for, for Kinetic. We ended up having close to, you know, 45 to 50 uh, abstractors working, at it, working for us at one time. And I'll be honest, I, I think we, we kind of took on a little too much, you know, too soon. It, it, it just came on so quick. I mean, it was a great learning experience. You know, you always, you, you take that experience and, and you learn from it. As we all plan our travel and BD schedules for the next two quarters, a must-attend event that needs to be on your calendar is the Mark Mineral and Royalty Conference, taking place at the Post Oak Hotel in Houston on April 18th and 19th. With two days of action-packed networking, panel discussions, and presentations, the Mark Mineral and Royalty Conference proves to be one of the best networking opportunities of the year to get deals done and form new partnerships in the mineral space. For more information, please visit mineralconference.com or email info at mineralconference.com. At what point you're doing more uh, 
leasehold uh, at this point, right? Um, mm -hmm. At this point, yeah. Start transitioning towards minerals. Is it that kind of 2015-16 inflection point where a lot of the institutional capital came in? So around, around that same time, we were starting to kind of dig into it a little bit. Uh, obviously, we weren't you know trying to step on any toes with anybody. But if we if somebody brought an opportunity to us, we would you know we would take it. You know, like okay, is is there any conflict of interest here? Obviously, we want to be careful with that, and not make any you know step on any toes. But it kind of, I would say around that same time, even before we started doing work for Rice, we started to you know kind of poke around and see, it's like, all right, can we buy any minerals? Can we flip any deals? You know, can we do that? But definitely in that 2016 uh, timeframe is when we, or 2015, 16, we started to kind of, I guess, dive in a little bit more on the mineral purchasing side of things. You know, we just saw that, you know, we could really cut out a niche for ourselves. Uh, I know uh, one of my good friends, Andrea Taylor, she's, she's an attorney down in West Virginia. She, she was like, you know, you guys could really, you know, almost create like a, a, she said a boutique title company, you know, really catering to your, your clients specifically to their needs. Uh, and I thought that was kind of neat. I was like, yeah, you're right. Cause uh, you know, uh, nothing wrong with any of the larger title firms, like, you know, Percheron, Purple, but uh, a lot of times they're very set in their ways and there's only like so much, I guess, flexibility that they have to, to make things work, the things work for their clients. Not a bad thing. I mean, sometimes you need that, you know, keep things, you know, uniformed, uh, as much as possible, keep keep the wheels turning. And other times, you know, there are clients that, that have very specific needs that some of those uh, other bigger companies just can't meet. And I think that's kind of where we fill that void. Uh, that's excellent. Yeah. And let, let's talk about, so at a high level, right? When you look basin to basin, everyone says Appalachia has the trickiest title in, in the entire low 48. As a result of that, there's a barrier to entry. So if you're, you're in and you have your title database and team on the ground relationships, there's less competition. And, you know, at the same time, it's a double-edged sword because there's less competition, harder to exit stuff. There's also on the midstream side, uh, limited takeaway capacity. And a lot of the FT contracts have kind of, the minerals have been met, but there's no real incentive to drill extra. So pace of development is far different than places like the Hainesville, for instance, where there's pad drilling. So there's all sorts of different dynamics in Appalachia. But when, when people say it's the hairiest title, it's the ugliest title, really unwrap that like why and if you want to go state by state ohio pennsylvania west virginia if there's any nuances but what does that really entail and, and why don't you just for someone like myself who doesn't have a land background compare it mm -hmm. to texas or louisiana or, or oklahoma and how it compares right yeah uh well uh, i mean each each one of those states have their you know i guess nuances in terms of what's going on I would say Ohio is probably one of the easier ones. You know, you you run into a reservation, and you know they have uh, the Dormant Mineral Act. Uh, essentially, if if there haven't been any savings events, savings events would be considered. You know, you reserving the oil and gas rights. Uh, somebody you know drilling a well, somebody leasing your oil and gas rights. If none of those things occur within a certain time frame, then those oil and gas rights then revert to the current surface owner or mineral owner for those tracts. I mean, there's some loopholes, I mean, you know, some hoops that you have to jump through to make that happen, you know, put people on notice, things like that. But, you know, that, that kind of clears things up a lot. I mean, you come across a reservation in, in southwestern PA and, and West Virginia, depending on when that happens, if, if they're if a lot of those folks don't know they have those reservations depend or those oil and gas rights, depending on when that was made, you're in for uh, an airship project that could span, you know, 150 years. Then you're, you're going through, you're pulling wills, you know, you're doing genealogy, you know, you're, you're kind of just 
almost flying blind sometimes. And you just have to get creative about the, you know, how you're going about finding that information. And that's where I think Southwestern PA, you know, being Greene County, Washington, and, and, you know, you get into West Virginia, that's kind of where the, I guess, the difficulty really starts to, to begin. You know, you, in uh, you know, specifically in West Virginia, they, they, those assets are assessed. So not only do you have to worry about, you know, who's inheriting these oil and gas rights, but are they paying those oiling or those assessments on it, those taxes on it? Uh, so there's the possibility that throughout time, you lose track of those, they go delinquent, and then they get sold in a tax sale. So in West Virginia, you have to worry about that and you're losing the oil and gas rights just throughout time, just because, again, you know, somebody reserved them back in, let's say, 1905, you know, you're removed a couple generations. For whatever reason, you know, the oil and gas industry slows down. There's no activity. You're like, oh, you know, I don't have those anymore. Uh, or, and then somebody comes across it. Oh, we do, but they got sold out. You know, then you're trying to find out, you know, what happened there, what's going on. Like, how, how do we go about tracking those people down? Is there any way we can redeem these? And by, by I mean redeem is you go back and you pay those back taxes on it. I mean, if you can, that's, that's lucky for that family. A lot of times that doesn't happen. A lot of times you just lose them because there, there are folks that are keeping track of that stuff, you know essentially just picking off interest here and there. Hey guys, I wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to Opportune LLP for sponsoring our Minerals and Royalties podcast. As a leading global energy business advisory firm, Opportune is well positioned to provide world-class technical, financial, and operational capabilities to minerals and royalties companies. Whether it's back office outsourcing, resource and reserve definition, land due diligence and administration, GIS mapping, valuation work, data and system integration, financial reporting, tax advisory, or buy and sell side assistance, Opportune LLP has got you covered. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Is your team interested in de-risking their underwriting on minerals acquisitions? What about maximizing the value of your minerals on exits? Source Energy is pioneering energy intelligence to help you stop guessing when, where, and if wells are going to be drilled and completed on your minerals. If you're interested in tracking daily frac crew activity, buying white space before permits are filed, buying permitted acres just before the rigs show up, buying minerals at permit pricing when drilling is in progress, buying ducts with imminent flush production, or maximizing the value of your permits and ducts anytime you exit your minerals, then please visit www.sourceenergy.com minerals or email info at sourceenergy.com for a free demo. I also want to say thank you to Noble Royalties, who's been a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997. With the ever-changing landscape of the energy industry, Noble's team urges EMPs, mineral funds, and private families to rethink how they buy and sell their minerals. Noble's legacy and experience will assist in delivering effective solutions to EMPs and private owners alike on how to best maximize their mineral ownership in this ever-changing market. If you're interested in having a conversation about what might be the best solution for your company, fund, or family, then please reach out to Chase Morris at cmorris at nobleroyalties.com or Shannon Manor at smanor at nobleroyalties.com. No, that's interesting. O- outside of the owner and airship uh, puzzle, we'll call it, mm-hmm. are there tricky legislative implications, stuff that got passed you know, way back when or over the years that can kind of muddy the waters in terms of figuring out who owns what? I wouldn't say there's anything that would really muddy the waters. I guess the one thing you do have to worry about would be intestate deaths. 
you know, somebody that, that passes without a will or a line of succession that's uh, set in place, each count or each state, you know, ha- has different intestate laws as to how that interest gets divided up amongst their, you know, the remaining heirs. For instance, in Pennsylvania, it goes through probably, you know, three or four different changes. I think you have prior to 1917, I think there's a change in 1947, then I think another one in 76, and then finally in 1993. And really the only changes are like, what does the spouse get? You know, I think 1917, I think the spouse only got a dower, which is really like a life estate in the property, but then the children got everything. And it depends if there are children involved. You know, there's so many different things going on. If there are children involved, how many children are involved? If, if there are aren't any children or there's not a living spouse, then it goes back up to, first it goes up. If the parents are alive, then it goes back to the parents. If the parents are not alive, then it goes to siblings. If there aren't any siblings, then you're then you're getting into, you know, that person's like uncles or the parents, like siblings, things like that. So you know, a lot of intricacies, kind of interesting. You really have to be careful as to how you, you, know, you really have to pay attention. You know, I wouldn't say I, I haven't memorized just because dealing with three different states, I do have cheat sheets that I have to you know, go back to. Sometimes I'm having a call, you know, a friend like, hey, I can't remember this right now. Probably a dumb question, but like, can you help me out with this? And it's it, in my experience, it's always good to reach out to somebody, you know, in, in case you get stuck on something, you know, whether it's a title attorney or a fellow abstractor, just to kind of just bounce ideas around and make sure that we're going down the right path. So like there, when you're in Texas, you have tax rules, right? So there's none of that mm-hmm. in either of these states, right? And so that's one of the challenges of someone wanting to go up and establish the position. Let's just say you get a couple hundred million bucks mm-hmm. and you want to deploy it. Unless you've kind of, is there any way to get a head start or it's really manual grinding and just figuring this stuff out piece by piece? And so when you look at the larger players in Appalachia, the Stonehills, the Amps, you know, Master mm-hmm. Minerals, Bounty, you know, don't want to leave any out, but, you know, those are the ones that come to mind. They've been in decade plus, right? Give or take. Right. Stonehill, maybe six, seven years. But is that just, it's just, that's the formula for success? It just takes that long? I mean, there, there are obviously shortcuts you can take. You can buy. Uh, I mean, if you, if you want to, you know, pull, I mean, we're so far along now, if anybody does come into the space, you can pull unit decks, you can buy leasehold data from, you know, from Western or you know, another big player, but you still have to, you know, kind of dig deep and run that title. Cause you just, I know a lot of folks that came up from Texas, I would say we didn't have a firm grip on, on title up here early on in Appalachian its infancy, you know, 2008, I would say to 2000, maybe even 10 to 11 there were a lot of things that a lot of us were still learning and maybe may have missed. So, you know, if I run some title now and, you know, basically I tell my clients, Hey, it doesn't matter if it's in pay status or if they're, you know, run the title, you never know what you're going to find. You know, I've, I've recently uncovered uh, double the interest for some of my clients. Hey, we think we own this. I come back like, Hey, you know what? I think this is actually double, which is, you know, great value for them. But at the same time, you know, hey, we're getting paid on this. Oh, well, this is actually half of what you think you own. Also great value because if they take on that interest, they go to sell it to some to, you know, the next person down the line, that's going to raise red flags. And hopefully they do the, the due diligence and not just take it for what it is. But here's here's a kind of a, a hypothetical scenario. I know a lot of clients in Appalachia who have bought interests from Amish country. Mm-hmm. So 
record keeping and just kind of modern technology and everything is is really non-existent in comparison to you know the rest of the US. Right. That in itself an interesting nut to crack and just it's getting better, unfortunately. Yeah, like you said, just some counties just aren't up to speed. And and you know, for Green County, Washington, they have the benefit of being kind of the core of this area. So they've taken a lot of the money that they've gotten and and you know reinvested it into their record keeping, digitized a lot of the information, which makes life easy for a lot of abstractors. We don't even have to leave you know the house or office or wherever. To, to do that. But, you know, yeah, you're right. You get up into, into Amish country or further out east. And where, you know, just for just for reference, Amish country equals what in all gas county speak? I, I mean, really, you, you, you get up into, into Butler, you get up into, uh, you know, Susquehanna out that way, you know, out to, towards Williamsport, those those areas. And, and they're starting to catch up. You're starting to see, you know, a little bit more of a turn and, you know, things starting to become available online. But, you know, you still have to make those long trips out there to to dig into, you know, look for wills. You know, you get to a certain point on their online records beyond 1950 and you're out there, you're digging deep and you're just out there carrying, you know, 30 pound books, you know, from one one place to another, you know, get literally getting your hands dirty because a, a lot of these records have been sitting there for, you know, a couple hundred years and the pages are just like covered in, in red dust. You know, if you come home and you're just like, just smeared you know sometimes it looks like makeup or whatever it's like it's, it's weird <laughs> your wife's like what's that it's like oh it's a, you know it's a land book don't don't worry about it i mean so high level right do you think one of the deterrents to all this is really scale that it's just it takes time and it's so cut up and you can go down rabbit holes trying to figure out these puzzles and if if you're institutional capital you want velocity of of capital deployment, and it's just harder to do that in Appalachia. Do you think that's one of the the challenges to come in? Someone, listen, there's smart people, there's technology, there's mm-hmm. you know you could figure it out, and people do. They go eh, apples to apples. We can put a hundred million dollars of work more effectively and still try to hit our return thresholds versus doing an Appalachia. Maybe the opportunity cost of two years of figuring it out isn't worth it, right? I would say that's that's a difficult question to ask. I mean, or to answer, just because there are counties where you know that are where folks aren't poking around just because not considered tier one acreage, still make money in those, and, and it's easy title. So it's just a matter of what you're looking for. You know, I, I would say yes. In West Virginia, I think a lot of folks have shied away from West Virginia just because of the intricacies and just the difficulty of the title. As you alluded to on the the tax assessment side, I know I've been partnered with Merit Advisors here for the last four or five months. Uh, they're really good at what they do, and mm-hmm. I've come to know at a high level, Ohio and Pennsylvania don't don't have any property tax assessments, but West Virginia is where one of the states they can add the most value because of just the structure of it. So, is that layering what makes it trickiest, or what other factors are at play in West Virginia? Well, really, more it's uh, just the the expenditure, you know, of running title, you know, yeah, you, you'll, you'll get a few where you're not, you know, spending, you know, blowing through, I would say, you know, if you're trying to pick up an acre, you know, because every acre counts, you know, I have guys that are clients that they don't care, you know, what it is. They'll, they'll sit there and pick up an acre, two acres, three acres and whatever, and spend a minimal cost on title here, here in PA, but you get down to West Virginia, you know, you run into an airship, you're spending, you know, 
potentially ten, fifteen thousand dollars in title. You know, that that starts to add up. I think that's really the problem is just the expenditure. It's worth it, you know, if if you can track down all those folks or but at the end of the day, it just comes down to cost. I think down there in West Virginia more I guess time and money. Yeah. What is one of the antidotes to that? Is it running title more at scale versus rifle shot? If you're again, you know, bigger player and you want to come in, is there a way to make that a little bit more cost efficient or is it really just, it is what it is? I think it is what it is to be honest. Unfortunately, you know, again, there's value there. It's just a matter of whether you want to dig in, you know, and, and there are, you know, there are some players out there that they, they love West Virginia they, they, and they understand like, Hey, it's going to take a little bit of legwork to get it done, but it's worth it. And then they're, they're willing to spend the time on it. And a lot of time. But then you have other guys that, you know, like you said, they, they want to put that money to work right away. They want to spend that. They, they, you know, they don't want to waste potentially two or three months running title through this. You know, they'd rather go, you know, Washington County, pick up a track, you know, turn it around 30 days. And, you know, if it's, you know, in the near term for production, that's great. You know, they're going to start seeing returns on it. But, you know, if you're, turn, you're turning your wheels on something that's going to take, you know, potentially three months, that's a huge, you know, I, I guess not, not a red flag, but just, uh, it kind of sours everything for them down there. Would love to get your thoughts. This is a strategy question. Companies go out and they do, they they go for the specific acquisitions for, you know, the rock or the operator. And then they do the, the title post, you know, post acquisition and, and, and diligence period or blanket title in an area upfront. You're investing your time and your money upfront. And then the idea is, we know exactly what what is owned and where we want to buy it and we can close mm-hmm. quicker. But what are your thoughts on that? Obviously both work in different areas, but right. you know, kind of pros and cons, I'm just kind of curious. Well, I mean, obviously the, I would say the former would probably be the, the most efficient in terms of return or at least uh, immediate return. You know, you, if you're going after a specific operated area, you're not, you're not really, I guess at that point, really speculating, you know, you know what you're, you're going after, you can pull the leases, you can pull the unit decks and you can really, I guess, focus your efforts on specific areas, especially if you, you know, you, you see permitting, I think that's the most efficient way to go about things. Nothing wrong with the latter, you know, definitely more reward there, I think, in a year, but you just, I guess, don't see, the, I, I guess the end result or the return that you're going to want right away, just because at that point you're kind of speculating, you know, you're, you're taking, you, yeah, you, you kind of have an idea, maybe, Hey, yeah, they're, they're going to move into this area next. It makes sense. Let's go ahead and run the title. You know, we'll, we'll take advantage of this area. It's, it's, it hasn't been had, but you know, it's, it's tougher, more of a risk. I think again, both work, but I, I think in where things are right now in this space and how much, you know, development there's been it's it almost makes just more sense to go you know that route first versus the other hey guys i wanted to take a quick break from the conversation to say thank you to noble royalties who's been a leader in the minerals and royalty space since 1997 with the ever-changing landscape of the energy industry noble's team urges emps mineral funds and private families to rethink how they buy and sell their minerals Noble's legacy and experience will assist in delivering effective solutions to EMPs and private owners alike on how to best maximize their mineral ownership in this ever-changing market. If you're interested in having a conversation about what might be the best solution for your company, fund, or family, then please reach out to Chase Morris at cmorris at nobleroyalties.com 
or Shannon Manor at smanor at nobleroyalties.com. Need energy industry management experience at your fingertips? Opportune LLP, a leading global energy business advisory firm, has the capabilities needed to overcome your minerals and royalties team's technical, operational, and financial challenges. To learn more, search Opportune's podcast E2B Energy to Business on Apple and Spotify Podcasts, where Opportune examines emerging financial and technology trends and provides a broad perspective on ways to stay ahead, create opportunities, and execute market strategies. For more information, please visit www.opportune.com. Predicting operator behavior is the name of the game in the mineral space, but using permits and relocations alone to do this is not enough. Detecting well pads and frack ponds in order to see which permits are on the rig schedule, discount permits that won't ever be sputtered, and determine which ducks are next up on the frack schedule is key to de-risking your underwriting. By using satellite imagery and AI, Source Energy shows oil-filled well pad construction before permits are filed, shows frack pond filings even before the crew arrives, and shows pinpoint frack crew movements daily, so you can get ahead of drilling activity and completions. If you're interested in leveraging this technology to revolutionize your ground game, then please feel free to visit www.sourceenergy.com minerals or email info at sourceenergy.com for a free demo. Yeah, talk to me about because um, you've been in the basin so long. So there was there was the the lease grab error, mm-hmm. right? And then from what I've heard, because this area was had less oil and gas history, right, of, of development mm-hmm. than areas like Texas. So landowners were less educated. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the initial lease terms were, were were not the greatest, and so a lot of minerals guys that go in, it's it's getting minerals and kind of renegotiating lease terms is, is a source of revenue with lease mm-hmm. bonuses, you know, getting a, a largely developed portfolio in Appalachia is tricky. A lot of guys that have been in, in the, the basin for a while that have deployed a lot of money and built up, you know, 30,000 plus NRA positions are still 20% developed. So still a long way to go, mm-hmm. but, but they've, they're already in the positive with lease bonuses and, and negotiating. So right. what, what are your comments on that on the early early stages and then i'll have some follow-up questions on how it's evolved but kind of early days and those lease terms all the things i was mentioning uh, you know early days it's i mean there, there there is a history of of oil and gas here in southwestern pa obviously the, you know, some of the first wells were drilled out here uh, in southwestern pa and, and that's why we run the title so far back to 1850 because you know th- there were leases being taken there were old uh, shallow gas wells some oil wells I mean, you do have some folks that are pretty well educated about it, but then, like you said, there are some folks that were just, you know, I guess ignorant to everything. You know, they didn't know any better, and it's no fault of their own. As a landman, obviously, you you try to educate the landowner as much as possible, and you try to take care of them as much as possible, just because at the end of the day, you know, if for instance with with Dale, we saw them as you know partners in this whole thing, and even to this day, you know, even with with mineral purchasing, they're a great source of information, you know, referrals, you want to take care of them. You don't want to take advantage of them. You know, you want to make the field as comfortable as possible with the decision they're making. You know, as far as leasing goes, you want to make them feel comfortable about, you know, them basically allowing an operator to just do what they want, you know, with their oil and gas rights. And, and And I know for a lot of folks, that was tough. And, but then as, 
time progressed, you had some attorneys, uh, you know, that stepped in uh, and negotiated better terms, which is great. I think, you know, obviously you want a lot of these, these uh, interest owners with, you know, especially, you know, the larger tracks to, to get as much as, as, as much revenue as possible from this. And, you know, it benefits everybody. It benefits the townships, the counties, you know, the smaller towns. I mean, it's, I mean, Waynesburg, I know they've, they've benefited greatly from, from everything out here. You know, they've, I know a lot of businesses have popped up, you know, the, I mean, I don't even know how many tax dollars have gone, you know, to that County, you know, just, just from all of this, you know, it's been great. And as far as modern day leasing, obviously, you know, the, there still is, I guess you would say land grabs here and there, you know, it, it, whenever there's so much leasing that has been done and there's so much that needs to be developed that a lot of leases just slip through the cracks and they need to be renewed. So, and I don't know if you've seen it, where you know, we'll go through phases every maybe five, three to five years where, you know, all of a sudden there's just this big rush to lease again. It happens. And, and I feel like the terms sometimes get better and sometimes, it, you know, it is what it is because, you know, either you want your, your oil and gas rights to be developed and you want to receive royalties or you're just going to be left out and, and, you know, in the cold. And that's one of those things. Uh, you just kind of have to, you know, do what's best. One comment you made about, you know, obviously building a relationship with landowners, referrals. I've heard a lot of stories from clients up there where you still have this like small town mentality where mm-hmm. you know, the neighbors will talk to each other. How, how many in broader Appalachia would say how many of the mineral owners are actually living on the land or are local? And then there's that small town mentality where Bob knows everyone in the town and the barber and just which, you know, I live in Houston and grew up in New York. That type of dynamic is so foreign to me, um, right. but, but it's very, very real. Uh, it, it is. is that just in pockets or in your experience and, and ongoing experience? That's something that's a very real dynamic. It, it's very real. It, it really is. You know, I did actually just the other day, one of my clients out of, uh, out of Denver, you know, we're, we're hitting Beaver County pretty hard right now. And, and I'm, right now I'm fielding all their phone calls just because they're not here. You know, like, hey, Gabe, we need you to field phone, phone calls for us. Okay, yeah, whatever you need. You know, I'll, I'll put together all the documents and everything, letters of intent, whatever you need. You know, so I'll randomly get phone calls from landowners out there. And just the other day, actually yesterday, I got a phone call from one guy. who's like, yeah, I'm interested. Sign me up. Shoot him out a letter of intent. Not even two hours later, hey, you know, I just ran into my neighbor. I was walking down the street. We got to talking. I heard, you know, you, you guys are buying oil and gas rides. Tell me about it. Sign me up. You know, it's so it's it's very real. It, it really is. You know, and you, you don't want to leave a sour taste in anybody's mouth in, in in their you know in your dealings just because word does get around. You know about your you know your you know how you treat folks. You know how, how things went. Your you know your timing, your responsiveness, all that you know goes a long way. You know, if they want to meet, yeah, sure, let's meet. You know, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Sometimes. A lot of these landowners just want to talk to you. They just want somebody to talk to, you know, whether it be about their day, let them bend a little bit. That goes a long way, I think, you know, in, in terms of, I guess, you can consider that customer service, you know? Sure. Uh, sure. And I think a lot of people, that that gets lost. I mean, they forget that, you know, we just, we're, we're providing a service really, you know, mm. to, to whether it be the landowner, our clients, you know, the community. So I want to go back. You mentioned kind of early in the conversation about, tier two versus tier one and, and how there's mm-hmm. actually some easier title in tier two areas, but less competition. So this has come up, you know, came up in the LPR episode, came up in the episode with Ryan Strawn at AMP about mm-hmm. tier one inventory running out eventually. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a huge wave of 
of leasing and, and minerals buying that happens in these two tier areas that either become tier one because of technology innovation or it just, you know, for demand issues needs to be drilled. What are your kind of thoughts on that? Just from the d- dynamics of what's available in these two tier areas are really operator behavior, what you see. From my understanding, have very clearly defined where they're going to drill. It's, you know, right. And, and right. I'm sure pretty picked over in some of these tier one areas, no? I mean, even when you get, I guess, in what you consider tier two or, you know, I guess tier one A or B or you know, whatever you want to call sure. it. I think it just really depends on the operator. You know, there you, you have some larger operators that love these areas. You're seeing great numbers of production and returns. I think it's just um, I, I really, you know, I, I don't know why it's it's that way. I mean, obviously the title is easier, but just for whatever reason, everybody's been focusing on, you know, green in Washington, green in Washington. Yeah, obviously Allegheny had, you know, you have your, you know, issues with with you know municipalities you have to to, to deal with. But you get further out onto the the Butlers, the Indianas, and you're starting to see more development out there. And yeah, it is because you know, obviously you're you're running out of development areas in these core areas. But uh, I, I think it's I think also pricing is going to come into play too. You know, historically those areas you know, cost less to lease, cost less to buy. So I think I think they're right. There is going to be more of a push to you know heading that way. But Beaver's been. Beaver and Butler have been picked over pretty well, you know. So I think a lot of folks that haven't moved into these spaces already are going to find it pretty difficult to, to you know, to find footing, if, you know, if they don't, I guess, make that leap into those spaces now versus later, you know, to, to have the foresight. You're like, okay, you know, this is this is this is what's next. Let's let's go. Yeah, I think the 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 biggest challenge is really just you know takeaway capacity and on the midstream side or on the downstream side. Yeah. So if you're going to speculate, just how much more will production in the basin go up based on that constraint? I mean, I don't think anyone likes war, but just what happened recently with, with Russia and Ukraine, I mean, right. with Russia's role with gas to Europe, you, you got to imagine the uh, the different types of sanctions that are going to be put on Russia going forward and how that's going to impact the global LNG demand mm-hmm. will be insane, right? So there's a great story to tell for gas and where you mentioned $12 gas. I don't, I don't know where gas goes it's five-ish right now but yeah so in terms of pricing demand definitely is a, a, a good growth pet there but appalachia is uniquely constrained with that takeaway you know i was at nape i ran into uh, somebody pen lng very mm-hmm. early stages but trying to get an lng project off the coast of pennsylvania to europe i mean stuff like that would be game-changing for the basin yeah know? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, infrastructure is always an, an issue. They're always always playing catch up, you know. And we just like not enough. Exactly, it's definitely not enough, and we need more of it. And my my wife actually works on that side. She's she's at uh, at Equitrans, and so okay. she's always you know she's always like feels like they're playing catch up or like worrying about whether things are going to get done or not, mm. trying to keep everything moving. Sure, sure. Well, very good. So, th- tell me a little about kind of what you're doing today and then how do you operate? So are you out there buying stuff opportunistically that you think is good value? You're tying it up and you're trying to, you have a collection of of clients or you're going out to your network or are you specifically engaged to, you know, be the title arm or the ground acquisition arm of clients? What's the model and how can people work with you? What, what would you like people to give you a call about if, you know, if there's a specific 
way to work together. Right now, I'm, I'm working with several different clients, all you know, private equity, which I'm enjoying a lot. They're all great. They all have very different needs in terms of what they're looking for uh, in title. And obviously, we try to accommodate each one. And as far you know, right now I'm, I'm really heavily focused on the title side of things. I'd really like to you know jump into some some deals and, and get some things done. You know, but. It's just, you know, title is definitely taking a forefront in, in, in my company or my business, uh, which is great. You know, I love it. You know, I, I have some, a few, few abstractors working for me that it's, it's a steady stream of work and it's, it's been good. You know, um, everybody brings something different to the table, you know, whether it be something in West Virginia, um, Ohio, PA, you know, uh, Northeastern PA out that way, Susquehanna, all, you know, like homing all those areas. It's always, it's never a dull day. You know, I'm, I'm always digging into something different, whether, you know, airship is, is great. I love digging into the airship. You learn a lot about families, you, you know, making the phone call to somebody saying, no, oh, I didn't even know I own this. Well, great. You know, we're trying to pay you, you know, however, however much, you know, per acre. Oh, this is great. You know, I can go do this and do that, take some vacation. You know, I'm, all, I'm always looking to bring on new clients. You know, a lot of, a lot of the, the clients that I have right now are, have been through referrals, through some of my, you know, through Par City uh, is one of my larger clients, uh, Matt Weischek. Uh, good guy. Uh, he, you know, he's turning into a big player in, in, in the basin, uh, his group, and he's referred me to a, a lot of guys that he's met throughout throughout the years. And, and things have just kind of just blown up from there, just uh, blossomed. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see where those things go. And I, and I think those, those type of, uh, I guess, avenues, referrals are the best. You know, they, they, they kind of have a little bit of an idea of how we operate, you know, just through conversations that they've had with each other. And, and then we just go from there and just kind of develop a relationship and, and kind of develop, the, you know, the work product that they're looking for. You know, for one of my clients, they're, they're actually, like, that I mentioned before, they're just now kind of digging in and, and starting to, you know, grow their portfolio. And I'm, I guess you could say that I'm helping them do that, you know, by fielding some of these phone calls, getting some of these deals done. You know, whether me going out there and, and closing some of these deals for them, you know, it's a little bit different from what I do from some of my other clients just because they already have that built in. But for them, you know, they're so new, you know, not in the industry. I think you might have met them, Steve Jurgensen uh, with Tailwater. I don't know if you met those guys or not. And Hans, yeah, uh, good guys. Yeah, Tailwater, just to clarify, Tailwater Investment Partners, not Tailwater Royalties. There's just a couple now. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're, I wouldn't say they're new to this space, but new to, you know, the Appalachian Basin and, and how things work. And, and it's been great working for them. You know, it's just, again, something different. They're, they're all different as far as what they want and what they need. And I'm just trying to make sure that, that we provide that service for them. Excellent. Well, good stuff. Well, Gabe, thanks for coming on. It's, it's been a pleasure getting to know you recently here. I'm glad we met in person at NAEP and best of luck going forward. I appreciate you coming on to the podcast and uh, we'll look forward to, to doing it again down the road. Great. Thanks, Tim. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed. The Minerals and Royalties Authority is a specialist advisory firm focused exclusively on the minerals and royalty space for oil and gas and renewables. With our leading content platform and thought leadership, our team is continually looking to bring awareness to the mineral space in order to help investors and companies buy and sell deals and form new partnerships. If you're interested in scheduling a call to explore ways the Minerals and Royalties Authority can help your team through our offering of consulting services for business development, marketing, capital raising, and A&D, then please send me an email at tim 
at mineralsauthority.com. Also, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to share these episodes with anyone in your network that you think would enjoy. Thanks, and see you next time.